I just love Vermont. I think it's the point in the Appalachian Trail where you start to get away from city and you really feel like you're isolated and you're in the, out in, in the woods alone. And uh, at least in the northern half of, of the trail. And um, I remember going up this fire tower in Vermont and just you look around and for the first time I couldn't see anything but nature and to just feel feel that um, that isolation and Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guests are Toby and McGuire, known off trail as Toby, a chocolate lab mix, and Trisha Penrod. They long ass section hiked 900 miles of the AT from New Jersey to Maine in 2018. And in this episode, we talk about the joys and challenges of through hiking with a dog, dive into what Toby's kit looked like, and how she trained him to sleep in a hammock. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with McGuire. Welcome to Friday, TGIF. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How is it over on your side of the world? <laughs> well, right now I'm um, visiting family in Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's good. It's good. Florida's nice this time of year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, I just came here for a few weeks just to visit some family. So I'm gonna escape before it gets too hot. Sounds like a good plan. Is uh, is uh, Toby with you at this point, or he's not? No, he's back in California. Okay, is that where you are normally? Is back in California? I'm actually on my way to Thailand. Oh wow. For a- yeah, for a bit. So we're in flux right now. <laughs> I got out of the Air Force right before I got on trail. Okay. Going from trail and then uh, figuring out what's next has really been a challenge, <laughs> as it is for a lot of people. I was going to say, that that's not an individual solo thing at this point, as I'm understanding it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What what pushed you onto trail or what, what put you out on the trail? Well, when I was a kid, some of my classmates, friends left them with their grandparents and went off for six months into the trail. So I found out about it when I was in middle school and I mm-hmm. thought that was, that's really cool. Maybe I'll do that someday. And then uh, I f- totally forgot about it for 10, 15 years Mm-hmm. I was in the middle of an Air Force career and just wanted to change, wanted something different. Knew that I didn't want to make the Air Force a, a, do a full 20 years, do a career with the Air Force. So uh, it was a great way to figure out 
for at the time what I thought would, oh, I'll figure out what's next. And that didn't quite happen, <laughs> but uh, I'm in the process of figuring it out right now. The process of adulting is difficult, <laughs> challenging. Yeah, it's, it's very challenging. But another uh, huge aspect was Toby. Mm-hmm. I did, uh, I worked a lot and I hired a dog sitter every now and then, you know, I tried to keep him entertained during the day, but at the same time I felt pretty guilty because I felt like I wasn't able to spend the time with him that I wanted to. So this was the perfect way for us to uh, rebond and reconnect and spend time together. How old is Toby? Toby's six. Uh, I actually rescued him from um, an Idaho uh, pound when he was six months old. So we've been together for five and a half years uh, and he basically kept me on track. You know, I w- I'm just a workaholic. So he was my excuse mm-hmm. to come home. <laughs> they're good for that. They Get, are. They, they're good for getting you out to walk. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could say that. <laughs> when you, when you got Toby, did you have expectations of taking him out for hikes and that kind of stuff? Or is that something that just sort of evolved once you got him and, and kind of started to see possibilities? Well, I've always really been into backpacking. I grew up with my dad going on trips all over the States. Uh, We never had dogs. And when I got him, he just fit perfectly into the lifestyle because he's a a half lab, half pointer. Okay. So very tons of energy um, was pretty much made to be out on trail, different Mm -hmm. trails and started off doing a little day trips in Idaho, did some backpacking trips in Idaho and pretty much he grew up hiking a lot out West. So so he has the right personality for it. I mean, in terms of friendly and outgoing and that kind of stuff, but also the stamina for it. Yes, definitely. He's very personable. Um, He loves people and other dogs. He's very dog friendly. Um, He doesn't really show much dog or people aggression, which was pretty important to me. That's definitely something that, is within the community a hot topic. You hear about a lot of hikers having issues with dogs on trail. I wanted to make sure that Toby had a good experience as long or along with uh, the other hikers on trail too. You, you know, because if something had happened, I would it would just ruin. I think the experience for for me yeah. and for him. Can you take a dog on? 100% of the AT. I don't know if you've looked at the PCT and, and the, and the rest, but on the AT, can you take a dog on 100% of it? No, there's a few areas where you can't, uh, you can't bring your dog through the Smoky Mountains. Um, also you can't take them in Bear Mountain in New York okay. and to Baxter State Park as well. So I think that um, Baxter and the Smokies are two of the most scenic places on trail. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer. But yeah, I since uh, Toby and I started in New Jersey and we went to Maine, the Smokies weren't an issue for us. And uh, you can go around this, this park in New York. So that wasn't really an issue either. So really, that means you only need to board them or have someone look after them or skip uh, the Smokies or Baxter. Mm-hmm. And when we got to Baxter State Park, uh, he went to this place called Katahdin Critters and <laughs> they took really good care of him. And they're really known for, for doing that as well. 
when I got my summit photo at Katahdin, I was pretty bummed out that he wasn't there. So I took some shots of me, what would have looked like me holding him. Uh, and then photoshopped him in later. So we I was going to say, I, I thought I saw a picture with him there. So <laughs> he made it in spirit. <laughs> Photoshop to the rescue. That's right. When you were in the Air Force and you had him, what, were you getting out and, and sort of then the AT was part of that process of getting out and what can we do next and we need a bonding and, and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I knew that. I needed a change because I was always inside and I looked like I was ghostly white (laughs) and I wanted to do something outside with him. And I thought it, I just kind of remembered seeing my friend's parents go off on this trip. And I knew that I never really, I've been out West. I've done lots of hiking out West day trips and backpacking trips, small trips, but I never, I never seen new England and I never, had done anything on the East coast really. So, uh, hiking with him on, on the East coast was a great way for him to be a dog, a real dog. And also for us to explore yeah. the East coast, New England together. I I'm going to jump like 500 topics here for a second because hammocks sleeping with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I know we'll, we'll get to sleeping and whatever, but like just that image of him in a hammock sleeping is just so hysterical to me. And I cannot get over how that actually happens. (laughs) Uh, Well, I have realized that over time, I just prefer sleeping in a hammock. And I thought if I'm going to do this night after night, let's just, let's make the conversion. And then I started wondering, okay, well, I'm going to bring him. Is this going to work? I researched a lot of different ways for this to happen. I thought maybe he could come in the hammock with me, but I could just imagine the two of us being squashed together in the hammock. Right. You're just, you're a sardine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, then I started researching and found a few guides. Uh, people had put YouTube videos together and what, what they had done was either they would hammock and they would attach their dog's leash to the ridge line, and um, the, the dog would just be on the ground. And I didn't really like that idea because bugs, rain, weather, you know, you want him to be protected too. Yeah. So then I bought this gear hammock from Truck Light Gear, and I really uh, like it because it's, you know, it's smaller than a normal hammock, and the, the fabric is a little bit different as well. And it's perfect for his nails. So what I we started off with was I just wanted him to get used to the hammock. So I put the hammock down on the ground, you know, let him sniff it, get used to it. And then slowly I would start to raise it up and still have him get in and out of the hammock. And eventually the hammock wasn't on the ground and he was still able to get in and out of it. So he will never get in the hammock of his own will. That's not anything that would happen. But if, <laughs> like, oh, I'm just going to go lay in my hammock. But if I say, okay, it's time for bed, get, go get in your hammock. He, I um, flatten out the bottom of the hammock and he just steps right in and sits down, goes to bed. That's absolutely incredible. It's, it's it wild factor. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and it looked like there was something enclosed over him 
did that sort of help him stay in at night or was that more of a protection from elements and things like that? Yeah, he had a breathwear sleeping bag as well that he slept in in the hammock. Uh, and then my Hennessy hammock was right over top of him. So um, oh, okay. that protected him as well. So you were a, tw- a, a bunk bed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, what led you, because you're the first person I've talked to who's actually used the hammock. I, I've had people reference it, but like you're the first person who's actually used the hammock consistently um, on yeah. the trail. How did that work for you? Obviously, I think the AT is different from the PCT and things like that in terms of the ability to use the hammock, but. Yeah, definitely. There's the fact that there's so many opportunities to hammock. I never felt like I had to really search uh, at night to hang it up, which was great. Cause I, that was one of my biggest concerns was, am I even going to be able to find a place? And there are, a, there were a lot of hammockers. I was very surprised. I, I want to say maybe 20 to 30% every night would be in a hammock. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Just depending on, you know, what state that we were in, because sometimes people will change uh, once you get into the Northern States, especially when it gets colder. But the, the fact that I wasn't sleeping on the ground was just wonderful to, <laughs> for me. That's personal preference, but I really liked that. And then also I felt like when it was, when there were elements, when it was raining, when there were storms, I, we pretty much stayed completely dry. You know, if it was a downpour, we would try and get into a shelter mm-hmm. um, ahead of time. But otherwise we, we uh, stayed pretty dry most of the time. How, okay, this is complete newbie question, but how does that work in a hammock? Is there a sort of a pseudo kind of tenty like thing over you that keeps you from, because the AT is known for its elements, so to speak. So Absolutely. yeah, the, uh, the tarp on the Hennessy hammock is tied down to trees nearby at an angle, which is really nice because instead of, you know, most people think, oh, you're sleeping in a hammock, your back is going to be down in this. Yeah. You're going to basically be a, a you, but uh, <laughs> the way that you sleep at a 45 degree angle kind of flattens you out more. So you're not really, um, you don't, you are able to lie more flat and the, the tie downs tie down at, at another 45 degree angle and the water just kind of drains off and prevent is mm. uh, prevented entering the hammock. Wow. Okay. So sleeping in the shelter was sort of, going into the motel version of everything after you were in that, like the hotel, the resort version. <laughs> yeah. And um, sleeping in a shelter with a dog is definitely something that you have to uh, be very careful about logistically just yeah. because not everybody wants to have a, a dog in the shelter. So the way that we would plan it was if I knew that there was going to be bad weather, I was hiking after a few weeks, I got to know a lot of the people around us. Everybody loved Toby. He kind of became the the superstar. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and He's good for morale. He is very good for morale. Uh, and so most of the time we would show up to a, a shelter just because there were folks there that we knew. Um, and we'd socialize. However, when it was uh, – and we'd sleep outside during the, on those occasions – but when the weather turned bad, most of the time we'd be invited into the shelter. And I like to keep it to invite only. And that way everyone that's there is comfortable. I don't want to force Toby on anybody 
um, and I would put him in the corner. So basically I would just sandwich him up against the wall <laughs> and right. we would uh, spoon that way. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I get the, the people side of it, you know, not everybody wants a dog in the shelter and, and whatever kind of a thing, but I have to assume that Toby probably smelled better than most of them did at that point on the trail. Oh yeah. <laughs> in fact, there were times Times when other people would take him from me and my trail family, like, okay, he's mine tonight. I get to sleep with Toby. <laughs> How was Toby with that? Like he was good with being kind of moved around like that or he. Yeah. Oh yeah. He loved, he loved uh, the attention. He had bonded with them at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. How did you prepare? Cause I saw like you had some packs, whatever that he was carrying um, and then obviously you're, you're carrying stuff for him as well. Yeah. How did you prepare both of you for getting on the trail like that for the extended through hike? Well, uh, when we were doing a lot more hiking in Idaho, he would carry the same pack okay. uh, with water because it's um, so dry and arid there that he would carry a lot of water, which he didn't carry any water on the trail. So it was kind of a, a nice uh, substitution, right? Instead of water, he was carrying his, uh, his uh, dehydrated food. He carried his, let's see, he carried about four to five days of dehydrated food at any time and his rough wear pack. Uh, he carried his booties, his little dog paw booties and his jacket. And that's about it. I carried everything else, which really was just his sleeping bag uh, and his first aid kit. When you say those things, like if we had not already basically established that Toby is a dog, like you're basically talking about a person at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not very different. How much were you carrying, I guess, in total? Like what was your, what was your base weight versus what kind of how, how heavy did your pack get between carrying everything for you and then also for him in terms of water and my, stuff? My base weight was about 20 to 22 pounds. Okay. Uh, and then, um, with water, I never carried more than three to four liters just because it was always available, which was nice. So, uh, I never got above 30 pounds, which was wow. very, very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, with food and, and everything. And the fact that he was able, I mean, he, Toby never carried more than six to seven pounds at a time, which dogs aren't supposed to carry more than 20% of their weight. I think 20% is very high and I never went above uh, 10% because he weighs 70 pounds. Okay. Did, did he wear his booties a lot of the time or, cause I, I thought I saw on one of your posts that he were having some issues or he was having some issues with his paws. And so he kind of gone off trail to, to heal for that. Yeah. Uh, Toby did really well as far as his paws uh, holding up. And that was one of the things that I was worried about. Cause I know he can go all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, paws, feet, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were coming down from Mount Washington and that I would say for five miles, it was just the descent was pretty brutal. And he. Brutal how? rocky or it was yeah it was the the rocky it was like the granite rocky um, so gritty yes yeah, super gritty almost like sandpaper yeah and he um 
I noticed, well, first off, I sat down to take a, a break with him and put my hands down. And that's when I really noticed, oh my gosh, this is, this is really gritty. And I'm wondering how his paws are doing. I hadn't really seen him react negatively at all, but I was just worried. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at his paws and noticed that he was starting to develop some hot spots. And that's the point that I put the booties on. I think we were about three miles north of the uh, Mount Washington descent at this point. I put the booties on and, you know, I love watching dogs when they first get boots on their paws. It's really funny. You should go YouTube. (laughs) But um, we got down. He didn't really have any issues. You know, I've seen really bad injuries before with heat, you know, dogs walking on pavement Mm -hmm. and their paw pads almost like um, rip off. That wasn't the case for him, thankfully. Uh, And we went into town, we went into Gorham and actually he stayed with a lady that I found on Rover for a week to heal. Just, I wanted to make sure that there were no issues, especially with Southern Maine and the the what do they call it the meat grinder coming up <laughs> that, he, that he was going to be okay getting him back was very interesting because i continued while he stayed in town and so i left him there for a week and I, okay i'm like trying to logistically figure this out uh what i did was i hired someone on rover which is a dog walking dog grooming anything you want with dogs app mm-hmm. She went and she picked him up and brought him to the hostel that I was staying at in Southern Maine. Wow. So it was about an hour drive for her, but it worked out uh, all around for us. Mm-hmm. Thank God the, the East Coast, the states are smaller. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. What kind of first aid stuff did you, I mean, other than the booties, what kind of first aid stuff did you have for him versus what did you have for yourself for that matter? Well, really, it's the same. The I think it, most people start with that ginormous first aid kit that they realize, okay, maybe yes. I don't things. So by that time, I had pretty much whittled down to, you know, moleskin and some first aid cream, mm-hmm. like get anything else you need in town. Uh, for Toby. The mushers, the paw wax was the the most important thing I would say for a dog is again, keeping their paws and their pads healthy. So we would apply this waxy salve to his paw pads Mm -hmm. uh, every night after we were done hiking and that would soak into his pads and keep them from cracking and keep them nice and healthy. Uh, And then tweezers, I would say if you have some tweezers and some mushers, you, you can you can muster through whatever. <laughs> Did you have any injuries or, or issues like blisters or anything like that while you were out there? Yeah, I, I did. I had a few blister issues in the beginning. Um, I was trying to figure out my footwear. I started off in Chacos. Uh, Chacos. And I haven't heard about that. They are Chaco sandals. Ah, Okay. The rope sandals, which I had a pair of hiking sandals in the past, and I loved them. I love the chakras, too. However, the ankle support just wasn't there. So you can guess what happened. I sprained my ankle. Yeah. <laughs> and I took a few days off from that to recover and then just wore uh, really heavy gear braces and switched to Keens. And those okay. seemed to work really well. And I finished in Keens. 
And then, and once you switched out, you you weren't having problems with blisters anymore. And yeah, because it's that wide toe box. <laughs> Thank God for the wide toe box. Yeah, exactly. So I take it the the place where you were having blisters was in your toes and the forefoot, as opposed to like heel or or things like that. Yeah, I actually got them on the ball of my foot, of the chakras, <laughs> which was very painful. Uh, but the socks I was wearing. Um, socks with my chakra. So styling and that's oh, you were styling <laughs> uh, new fashion plate. You were, you had, so you had the first day for him. You had your stuff. You had your kind of your clothes and stuff like that. With all of that being said, like how far were you guys going per day? I, Cause I would assume that, you know, whereas hikers on their own seem to, the, the, the amount of mileage that they're doing seems to expand and contract rather randomly. Yeah. But I would assume that with you, because you had to think about what he could do and, and keeping it contained, you were probably much more strategic about that. Yeah, I definitely was, especially in the beginning when I was worried and I didn't really know uh, if he, you know, was going to be up for the, the whole entire track. Cause originally I was only planning to bring him, to the beginning of the whites. I had heard oh. horse stories like, don't bring a dog through the whites. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs have problems. And then, so we started our, our journey in New Jersey. And um, he did great. He, I was looking for warning signs of exhaustion, you know, just trying to make sure that he looked like he was having a good time. Like he wanted to keep going. Yeah. Because a dog's not going to tell you that, but you can look at them by their disposition and tell, okay, this dog wants to sit down and not go anywhere. And that was never the case for him. And I'm extremely lucky for that. He, if anything, I held him back, which is absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We started off very slow with, you know, five, six miles a day and, and worked our way slowly up to about 15 miles a day. And pretty much that was our average 12 to 15. And that, that probably felt good for you too. You know, I mean, in terms of versus the, the longer extended miles where you break yourself down and. Yeah. 12 to 15 was great. I was able to, you know, not feel rushed. I'm a, I'm one of those two mile an hour average people. So no, no matter what, two miles an hour, and that's, I'm going to make, I'm going to make it by the end of the day. So, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, it's actually a funny story because I had planned to um, send him home when I got to New Hampshire. So I got off trail, I rented a car, and I was going to fly him to California to spend the rest of the time off trail while I finished. I get to New York City because he was going to fly out of JFK. And I. Woke up in the middle of the night. I had this terrible dream and I thought, what am I doing? Like Toby's doing great. Mm-hmm. I should listen to, you know, my fears about something that, that I don't really, you know, he's done great on trail so far. I don't think I don't want to finish this without him. Right. So I turned around and we went back up to New Hampshire, <laughs> got back on trail. <laughs> and he was perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. You, you know, he did have that incident coming mm-hmm. down. Not Washington, but uh, he got off trail for a week and healed up just fine. So 
if I could do it again, I would just put the booties on earlier. Right. Do you have any plans to go back and get the lower or what you can do of the lower, the lower half or lower part of the AT? I, I do. I would love to finish. And, you know, I go back and forth. Like, should I just do the whole thing again? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> in one foul swoop, you know, conquer it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any concrete plans right now to do the the lower half, but I definitely in the next two to three years want to knock it out. It's a common tale of old. <laughs> Once you get a taste, you seem to be hooked. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What was your, what was your system for the day? Like, would you get up at pretty standardly the same time and you hike for the same kind of number of hours every day? And what did that look like for you? Yeah. Toby and I would wake up about seven to eight in the morning. So we'd usually be the last ones in camp. Uh, I love to take my time in the morning and make a hot breakfast Mm -hmm. and then have coffee. You know, those were my, small, simple pleasures in life that I kept out on trail. I can't, I know some people send their stoves home, but I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) The cold soaking thing. Yep. And that's just not my, not my style. Uh, And we would normally hike until it got dark. Um, We would, you know, pick, pick where we were trying to get to that day. And then based on that distance, we'd figure out, okay, how, how many breaks and how much food can we eat along the way? And we would just plan it out that way. Do, do tell, like, uh, explain the, how many breaks and how much food can we eat for the day? I'm assuming <laughs> that you had a, a ration of food for the day, but. Yes. Yeah. It sort of sounds like you were expanding that. <laughs> yeah. When I, one of the challenges of going out there was dog food. Mm-hmm. So. I actually planned um, 80 days worth of food in gallon bags for myself and for Toby. So I did all mail drops, which was very nice because I would pull out my bag of food that I had made months ago. And um, I put all, I was really worried about getting tired of the same stuff because, you know, you buy things on trail. So I went and I just went ham before I packed everything and I put a bunch of different, I bought tons of different stuff. That way it was always a surprise for that day. I never knew what I was going to get. I wasn't tired of the same old thing. Um, so every day opening up that plastic bag was like a, a present. It was like mm-hmm. Christmas. <laughs> uh, <Nice>. So <laughs> I would pull out uh, all my food, look at it, like imagine eating it and mm-hmm. then ration out what I was going to eat for, uh, different breaks, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to plan to have lunch. Uh, once I've gotten so many miles into the day, I would love to get most of my miles done in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like most hikers do. I would, I would try and hammer out as much as possible and then, uh, kind of stroll along in the afternoon to evening. That seemed to work out pretty well for us. So every gallon bag had a day's worth of food in it. Yeah. Did you find for yourself or even, I guess, Toby, that as you were progressing, particularly as you started adding some more miles before you were getting up to the 12 to 15, that you were needing more calories? I was able to maintain weight 
pretty easily. And so is Toby, which is definitely one of the concerns that a lot of people have. Toby's naturally thin. Mm-hmm. I tell people he's a chocolate lab. He doesn't really look like a chocolate lab just because he's not super thick. Um, he's definitely, he has the pointer, the uh, German short haired pointer look to him and getting him to eat was a challenge for sure. He had this freeze dried honest called the honest kitchen dog food. And it's awesome because it's, it looks like this green mush, (laughs) but yeah, doesn't look good to us. He loves it. Um, but after a while (laughs) with, um, with everything, he was not very interested in eating. So I would do whatever I could to coax him to eat. And he loves peanut butter and he loves olive oil. So I would put both of those in his food and that did the trick and he got to eat as much as he want. And then when we went into town, we'd supplement with tons of treats and tons of uh, extra dog food. When you say after a while, he, you mean during the day or after the while you being on trail? Uh, after a few weeks of us being okay. on trail, seems to be pretty common. Uh, I've also noticed that it's amazing because, you know, if I was a dog, I would, I would feel the same way. You eat the same thing over and over again and it just loses its appeal. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, Toby, I, I get what you're doing. <laughs> I'm <here."> feeling you, man. <laughs> what were you, what kind of stuff were you eating? Like what was your overall recipe? I actually, um, I dehydrated a lot of food before I went on a trail. So I, you bought this dehydrator and I found all these dehydrated dinner recipes. So I was eating shepherd's pie and just lots of different stuff. You know, I even bought this, um, huge can of dehydrated meat. So I had like a chicken can and I had a beef can and I would mix all my own dinners, uh, back before and prepackage them. So, uh, you know, and I had, um, I'd also purchased a bunch of dehydrated vegetables too, to go in. So then I just added spices and planned all this stuff out before I went on trail. So the biggest hurdle for me was planning the food before I got on trail. It took, it took months to do, to individually package all this stuff and Mm -hmm. make sure it was all organized. So I could just hand it off to one of my friends and they could mail it to me while I was on trail. Wow. It sounds a little gourmet considering what the usual diet on trail seems to be. It was. It was bougie. I was I was super bougie out there. Were were people in the shelters or around you at the in the camps kind of sniffing like I mean you got spices and they're usually like ramen yeah. and you know, kind of <laughs> meandering <sure>. over. <laughs> I would, you know, I would have some of their ramen and they'd give or um I'd give them some of my my stuff too. So it worked out well. Nice. You you said you found some recipes. Was it a specific like cookbook or something like that or just online and online? Yeah. I just looked uh, at dehydrated uh, backpacking dinner recipes, meal recipes. Google was my best friend. Thank God for Google. How did we ever survive before it? I don't know. (laughs) You were saying peanut butter and olive oil for Toby, which helped obviously supplement calories, but also changed it up a little bit for him were you carrying those with you or were those things that you then picked up in town and I had one of those little little, uh, squeeze bottles that I would refill every time I got into town oh okay so it worked it worked out well we would go through maybe 
a cup of olive oil a week. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. I don't know. Olive oil on trail, though, sounds like, for beast or human, sounds like a really good idea. I mean, between the the calories and the nice fats and, like, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. It sounds like a beautiful, a beautiful treat. Definitely. When you guys were out there, what was your... What was your worst, hardest day on trail? That's a really good question. When we were in New York, so we'd only been on trail for, I want to say about a week and a half to two weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, The rain this year was, was pretty brutal. And we, I remember this one day of, uh, we'd just gotten back on trail from being in town. And it was raining really bad just all day. And then the same thing the next day mm-hmm. and then the same thing the next day. And so after about three days of that, it was, it just got to be just really depressing. <laughs> you know, everything's wet and yeah. um, the rain, the rain really does that to you. It's crazy. You don't even realize how much the weather impacts your life when you live in, inside in a house. It's, it's wonderful to like mm-hmm. escape that and to not be able to escape that. Uh, so we went into town that day before early, before we were supposed to just uh, kind of threw caution to the wind and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to recover. And that helped. That's, I should say sufficient, but did that help boost the morale? Did the rain end or did you end up having to go back out into it? And, the rain ended up, it didn't end all the way, but it, the weather got a lot better. It was okay. still sprinkling. Uh, also met up with uh, some of my friends that I had met on trail too. So that helped a lot to, to be with other people that I think that was probably the biggest, the biggest boost to morale. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Were you hiking with a, a group of people fairly regularly or even hiking with somebody that was, that was consistently with you throughout the trail? Um, actually when I went into town in New York, I met up with my, I guess my, what you'd call my trail sister and we, uh, together for the rest of the time and we met our trail family together. So we hiked alone for about two to three weeks and then we met a trail family and we would hike on and off with them, uh, for the rest of the trail for about a month. Nice. Were you out there sort of in peak season or were you a little bit ahead of it? Because you started higher up. We started in uh, the end of July. Okay. But honestly, I think I saw because I was going so slow. And uh, when we first started in New Jersey, that I saw a bunch of waves go ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And then we were at the back of the pack, which was nice to the crowds. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And the reason that I asked specifically also is I was literally just seeing some pictures on Instagram from the PCT Southern Terminus. And for, for the PCT, this is fairly early uh, because of the snows in Sierra and, and stuff like that. And there was probably 20 to 30 people at the Southern Terminus getting ready to start their hike. And I'm like, holy shit. I can only That's imagine nice. what it's like at peak season. <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've, uh, I've 
been interested in the the John Muir Trail as well and looking into permits for that and everything. And it's just nuts how competitive it is now. It's competitive to get permits even for the John Muir? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to apply 180 days out and there's a lottery and they uh, re-roll you into the next uh, day if you don't get picked for that mm-hmm. day. Wow. Yeah. All of the, I mean, and I'm sure this podcast is not helping that, but uh, all of the trails are going to be much more popular. Yeah. It's because people are discovering how amazing it is. And that's, that's really good. It's the next frontier of extreme adventure, so to speak. What, what was your best day on trail? Hmm. Um, I loved this day in Vermont. I just love Vermont. I think it's the point in the Appalachian Trail where you start to get away from city and you really feel like you're isolated and you're in the, out in, in the woods alone. And uh, at least in the northern half of, of the trail. And um, I remember going up this fire tower in Vermont and just you look around and for the first time I couldn't see anything but nature and to nice. just feel, feel that, um, that isolation. And also Vermont is extremely beautiful, albeit muddy. <laughs> but I'm sure that all of the rains did not help that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, to just, you know, the, the green tunnel is definitely, I think, impacts your your mood too because everyone assumes oh you're on the trail you get to see beautiful things every day and you're just on there for days and you don't have any views but once I got to Vermont it it almost didn't matter because the views of the woods became so beautiful Mm. I guess if you were down south like the Smokies would probably be a little bit more like that and and that type of stuff too for sure how was it because the AT is very accessible, you know, getting into towns, getting back out of towns, Uber, Lyft now, the whole bit. Yeah. How was that kind of convenience wise for you guys? It was great. I was, I'd never taken Toby in an Uber before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to ride in every Uber that we took. Nice. Okay. We hitched a few times. I think that the reason we got picked up was because of Toby. <laughs> you're like oh this poor dog <laughs> um so yeah if you if you want to get more hitches bring a dog along <laughs> he was your version of the trail wife exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i have heard that that it when you are hitchhiking you know either having a girl with you if you're a bunch of guys or having an animal helps the odds immensely. It does. Yeah. They, they can really sympathize with the women and the the animals. (laughs) Use it, use it, use it. (laughs) Let's see the, it was, I would say the way we started was great because it was nice in the first couple of weeks to easily feel like I had that safety net. Like we could get in town if we needed something. And then once I started to get more comfortable it just so happened that we were in the part of the trail where it started to get more rural, uh, less access points. And it worked out really well because I was like, okay, I don't really need this as much. You know, it's always nice to get a, 
a shower and a bed, but you don't need it. Right. Right. It was probably nice when it got a little bit more remote. It probably felt a little bit more like you were really hiking or backpacking at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. When you guys were out on the trail, was there anything that you guys had that you didn't need, like that you sent home or, or were you pretty set with what you, what you had packed? I'd done a lot of uh, research. So I started with about, I think as much as I ended with. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I sent home. Um, I, I did change my water filter uh, but that was mostly just because I um, did not like the flow. And I switched to, a, a, I think it's Catadyne B3, three liter. Uh, and I, re- I really like that because you're able to filter a lot more water a lot quicker than the uh, the Sawyer, the Mini. Was that what you started with? Yeah. Is the, is the Catadyne gravity or is it a filter or is it a... It's a filter. Yeah. Yeah. It's got the little charcoal like attachment, but I really liked it. They have a a one liter and a three liter and I got the three liter because I imagine myself going out West eventually and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to need more water out there. So (laughs) definitely need more water out there. Was there anything else that you kind of swapped out or, or didn't find that you didn't need or. I think maybe I had an, an extra sweatshirt or something that I sent home clothes you know yeah as far as equipment i don't think there is anything wow i'm impressed it's really light though i mean i was uncomfortable almost with the equipment that we started with but just because maybe some of those things that you send home are your safety net you know <laughs> to get to get you started so so you went the other direction as opposed to have maybe having that safety net as you as you were calling it you yeah. went a little bit more raw and and grew into it or or grew comfortable with it that way. I did. And that kind of follows the whole theme because I uh, separated from the Air Force. I stopped working on Friday and then on Monday I was on trail. So I really went for oh, it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where were you, when you were with the Air Force, where were you in the States? I was in DC. Okay. So it was just a little hop, skip and jump to, to get where you, to where you needed to. Yeah. I just got, had a friend drop me off. It was about a three hour ride up there and it's pretty easy. <sighs> that is just so foreign to me from the West coast. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Days. a couple hours gets you to Palm Springs and that's about as far as you go. <laughs> <laughs> was there a little bit of a culture shock? I mean, making that fast of a transition. Oh, Absolutely. Very, very much so. Just because I'm used to the straight lace rule followers, you know, <laughs> to, to go out uh, into the woods uh, with, you know, people who follow their own hearts all the time. And it was, it was nice. It was refreshing. Uh, I really liked that. It was definitely a good way to transition out of the always, you know, following Uh, a strict set of rules and someone's telling you where to be every day. Um, And 
just the chain of command that I was able to escape from was very nice. What what was your, or what do you, I guess, what is your trail name? McGuire. Do tell. Well, it's, uh, um, it's actually, there's an Air Force base in New Jersey. It's called McGuire Air Force Base. That's where I started. But also it's really centered around Toby because we're Toby oh, and McGuire. Wow. <laughs> Pretty cheesy. <laughs> that is beautiful. So, so for you, who, who did you find to, uh, McGuire to be on the trail? Um, I would say that first McGuire was Toby's McGuire. So I put him first always. Um, but to just kind of be there and experiencing his transformation was epic to see him turn into the dog that he was always supposed to be was, was very cool. Um, just to see how happy he was every day. Uh, he was definitely morale for everybody that we ran into. Uh, and then also I was able to take off the uniform and, and not be the air force girl, you know, the airman, I was able to Mm -hmm. just be Trisha and to be McGuire. Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of became my, like my, my, myself, Trisha, And it was wonderful because I felt like for seven years, I was bound into this line of like the strict professionalism all the time. And I think I lost a little of my goofy, fun self. So it was great to rediscover that on trail and to just be happy. What was the goofiest thing you did on trail? Goofiest thing. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I remember a lot of dancing. There was there's a lot of like fire dancing <laughs> near fire. Fire dancing, okay. <laughs> not not with fire, but <laughs> near fire. Damn. <laughs> um just yeah, I, I I would say um taking off that mask, the mask of professionalism is probably just a feat in itself. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it becomes so comfortable after a while that it's hard to slip it off and remember that there's other things and other, other aspects of your personality out there. Yeah, definitely. How has, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't even say how I should say has, your finding of Maguire translated off the trail. Like you've kept a hold of, of those pieces and parts that you found that you really fell in love back in love with. I think it's helped me. And the fact of um, what comes next. So I could be terrified trying to figure it out because I'm used to having a plan. I'm used to, being in control and to give away some of that control and to just kind of look for opportunities, but not necessarily uh, have a safety net is exciting. And I don't know that I would have done that a year ago before being out there because I'm trying to um, do something completely different. I'm, I'm trying to 
become a freelance writer. Nice. There's no way that I ever would have chucked everything I've learned out the door and to, to go this route. But I just, when I looked back at myself, if I, I feel like if I had stayed uh, and done 20 years in the military, I wouldn't have come out of the, that 20 years and been proud of who I'd become. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to leave just because I didn't like who I was turning into. So now uh, I definitely see the the split and I'm happy with uh, what's happened. I've been able to spend a lot of time with my family, which has been really good. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, born and raised. And then ended up moving, moving around for the air force. And yeah, I was in uh, Colorado, Texas, South Korea, Idaho, and finally DC. Wow. So you got, you saw quite a bit. I did. Do you want to go back to any of those places? And well, I really, I, if you can't tell, I really liked Idaho. Yes. <laughs> <A lot. laughs> uh, I was uh, living in Boise, Idaho, which I, uh, I love how relatively close it is to everything in the West. Mm-hmm. It seems like you can go any direction and there's uh, really cool adventurous things to, to see and do. So hopefully one day I'll end up back in Boise. I, I am a West Coast girl. I, yeah. I love the West Coast. Best I love the coast. wide, <laughs> here for the West Coast, uh, <laughs> the wide open spaces uh, is, is definitely something that I'm used to. So it, it is a little strange to, when whenever I've headed west or east, I should say, and everything is so much closer together and uh, the states are so much closer together, the towns are so much closer together. It's It's a different feeling. Yeah. Do you feel suffocated almost when you go to the East Coast? Not necessarily suffocated, but I feel um, the word that actually just came to mind was claustrophobic, but that's probably the wrong (laughs) word too. (laughs) I guess because I'm used to being able to like you get in your car and you drive six hours and you're still in the same state and you're, you know, but the countryside looks completely different. And uh, it's just that interesting wide open spaces type of feel to it that I I guess until I started to travel around, I never realized that it was a thing mindset thing until you start moving around and you realize that, that there is kind of a difference to it. Yeah, definitely. And growing up in Ohio, my dad, that was kind of our bonding experiences. He would take, take me to different places and we would backpack together. I'm Mm -hmm. so thankful because I, can imagine why people who've never left Ohio, they don't know what they're missing. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing places. And it's, you know, it's all in one country too. And that's, what's so cool about it. It's, I think that is, that is the most amazing thing. I've done a road trip from the East coast or from the West coast to the East coast. And it is truly amazing when you see the United States from that perspective Absolutely. How diverse it is, you know, as you drive through it. Um, it's, it's absolutely stunning and incredible. Yeah. To see. Yeah. Do you have any, other than the John Muir trail, do you have any other plans to, to get Toby out there? Like on some of the other, you know, ACT or PCT even, or something like that, or. 
Uh, I would love to. I there's just a lot of unknowns right now, but absolutely, we would. Uh, if I go back on a trail, when I go back out there, you will. Be- <laughs> Not if, when. <laughs> exactly. He will definitely be with me because he totally makes the experience for me. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm circling back to something that you said earlier about Toby in terms of, I mean, you yourself blossomed while you were on trail and, and found your your inner Maguire. But you were also saying that, that he had blossomed. Was that Was that really about him getting out there, I mean, having all of the social interactions and having all of the exercise and having been outside and investigating and, um, you know, the world, so to speak. I think so. I think when you go out on a hike with your dog, you get this glimpse into like their soul of, you see all of the, you know, the perkiness that they get. And then to be out there for days on days, it's almost when it becomes their nature and not just something that you get to glimpse, but something that you get to live with all the time. Uh, That's, that's really cool. How, how was he then coming back off of trail? Cause you know, for both of you, yeah, obviously you're not doing the miles and you're not outside as much. And Uh, the post trail depression aspect. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I experienced probably more than he did. Uh, he is just a happy guy and I definitely had moments where I'm like back, you know, in a bed in my house. Oh man, what am I doing here? I should be out on trail. I should be doing 15 to 20 miles today. What's wrong with me? (laughs) And, um, we would just take walks together. That was really how we got over it. Just being outside for a couple hours a day even seemed to help a lot. Was the mo- the main thing kind of the the depression, or were you also having some physical, um, and or he was having some physical responses to not hiking that much during the day? And I would say it was primarily the depression. Um, Southern Maine really tore my knees up. Toby was fine; he's he's doing great still, but uh, my knees were recovering. So that was another thing. It's like, oh, I want to go, I want to go be active, but I feel like I, I can't even run because my knees, uh, that went away after about the knee pain about a month and a half. You were saying the knee pain was from where again or from what again? From, uh, from Maine, mostly from Southern Maine, all the, the, the crazy descents and really it was going downhill. I loved going uphill by the end, which you, before this, you'd never hear me saying that. <laughs> But then the the downhills just shredded your your knees and your your quads and that. Mm -hmm. Even with trekking poles and yeah, we also slack packed a few times too, which was quite the treat. Um, Slack slack packed. uh, We would stay in like a hostel and leave our packs and just take a day pack with us, uh, including Toby. He wouldn't carry a pack at all. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, we'd have someone come pick us up and bring us back to that, that same hostel or hotel. So it was nice to, to be able to hike without the weight on our backs. That was awesome. Now, when you were doing that, were you hiking on the AT itself or were you doing some subsidiary hikes? And then when you'd circle back? 
That was only on the AT. So we would exclusively hike on the AT for that. So, okay. So then you leave your packs, you go out, you come back to the same place again, pick up your packs. And then do you jump forward to where you had finished the night, the day before, or are you redoing the trail that you had just done or? No, we would jump forward to where we'd stopped off. And there are a lot of services along the AT, especially in the North that will slack pack you, uh, which is nice. There are a lot of hostels, especially in New Hampshire and Maine, will they offer it to you as a service. You don't even have to ask. They just, oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's really nice. It's convenienceizing a through hiking yeah. adventure. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, the purists out there won't do it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's not a real through hike if you've done this and this and this. <laughs> exactly (laughs) but uh i was more about like enjoying the experience than hiking the whole thing Uh, clearly we didn't hike the whole thing so eh, that's already out the door for me i can be impure as much as i want (laughs) you can redefine it however however you see fit Mm -hmm. speaking of that i guess because i do hear that there is, I mean, there's obviously the purists out there and there, that kind of stuff. Um, but there can also be, shaming isn't the right word, but there can also be a lot of conversations and, and things like that about you're not doing it right. Whether, I mean, and I could see that also you getting that potentially with having Toby out there with you. You're not doing a real through hike because you're not doing it X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Did, did you run into that? I didn't run into it personally. I think when people see that you have a dog with you, you're almost in a different category. Okay. Uh, So it's almost like, oh, you have an excuse because you have a dog. (laughs) But uh, I, there were, let's see, in my trail family, I know folks got into conversations with other hikers a few times, just Mm -hmm. with that general tone of this is how you really hike or you know, the people who have to start in the exact same footprint that they left off the day before. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How was that received? I think with a lot of eye rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hike your own hike at the end of the day, right? That's mm-hmm. heard that a lot. So it's true. It's true. Did you... Believe it is probably the wrong word, but did you, actually, I should, I should rephrase that. It seems like you, and again, potentially because you had Toby with you. So you were sort of defining what your hike was from the get go. Did you see a lot of people around you being able to do the same thing or were they getting a little bit more locked into the, the culture of this is what it has to be, or this is how it has to be? Well, it helps that. We started in mid-July, so by the time, since I was uh, a Nobo, and all of the Nobos that I met, they were pretty far along in their journey. A lot of them had established their routines. They knew what they were doing. They were experienced. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was nice. It was kind of comforting to be around, a little intimidating, too, in the beginning, because you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing, all these people. <laughs> out here for four months already (laughs) 
but I think that that was nice because I didn't have to deal with the the crowds down in the south. Most of the people that I met along the trail finished, which was nice. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, because uh, we were already what uh, twelve hundred miles in by the time I had started. So that was great. How long? Because you did nine hundred miles. How long did that take? It took th- uh, three months. Okay. So by the time you, I mean, by the time you got finished, you'd been out there for three months. You're, you're pretty ingrained in it. Yeah, no, I felt very confident probably by the Vermont state line was when we really started to get in our stride. What were you, what were you using for a pack? I mean, were you just using the, the kind of the standard ultralight packs that everybody else is using or did you, oh, I've seen the smile. So what the... <laughs> Yeah, I um, I had a, a Cuban fiber pack, so okay. I definitely invested. That was like the thing that I invested in, and I loved it. It, it was it's like eleven ounces or something crazy light, <laughs> waterproof too. So I didn't need a rain cover. Really nice. Now I've heard of people using uh, rain cover aside. I've heard of people using like a thicker plastic bag inside to also act as some sort of rain or water barrier. Yeah. Did you do anything like that or? I didn't. Uh, I knew that my pack was, was going to keep everything dry. So I didn't even worry about it. Um, I tested it out a few times and it was, it was my big investment for the trip too. Mm-hmm. So I, I was pretty confident with it. What, what was the pack? Uh, it's a, um, it's a small company. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I'll have to get back to you on that one. Okay. I would be very interested. I, through, through doing this podcast, I've come across a lot more because you have the standard brands that sort of everybody goes to. And then you've got the, the little homegrown brands. It's a mountain laurel design. That's what it is. Okay. Perfect. See if we talk long enough, it'll come to you. (laughs) so mountain laurel designs what how many liters was it do you remember it was about uh 40 or 45 okay and that was an, that was big enough to hold all of your gear his gear food uh water and all of that it was there's also some uh, pockets on the outside too that were great for uh i would put i would put our food if we had extra food or we were going out for more than five days uh, would kind of hang that outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his sleeping bag would be on the outside too, since it was pretty bulky. When you say pretty bulky in comparison to like yours or just. Yeah. In comparison to mine, it's, it really isn't that bulky. It's just when you compare it to, I had, a my quilt, my super light, uh, um, hammock quilt was, uh, very compressible, which was nice. So. I really, it was surprising to me that his, like his gear was the biggest, bulkiest gear I had. <laughs> that, that was literally what I was just thinking. Yeah. How, how his, how his size wise could be that much bulkier, but. Yeah. If I were to do it again, I would make my own dog quilt for him. Okay. And go away from rough wear. You know, that rough wear is great for car camping or maybe a couple day trips 
but mm-hmm. not for a through hike. Just because it's not the the extra light type of thing or Yeah, because it took up too much space in my pack. What were you using as your, your quilt, your hammock quilt? Um let's see. I I have to look it up. I don't remember. <laughs> it's another one of those small uh custom companies. And it was a and it was literally a quilt that was made just for somebody who was sleeping in a hammock as opposed to a quilt that that a standard on the ground through hiker would also be using. Yeah. Yeah, uh it it is a hammocking company that makes quilts. Oh, okay. So very very specialized. Yeah. How how did it differ from like a regular quilt or cuz I'm assuming cuz you're in a ham Okay, I'm going to get into the particulars here. So sure. so forgive me for the details. But no. you're you're in a hammock you wouldn't have a pad underneath you necessarily. So you wouldn't have that sort of level of insulation against uh, cold coming in from your back. And then did it go over you and somehow attach to the sides of the, of the hammock itself or. I had a a quilt and I also had an under quilt and they were both Mm. by the same company and the under quilt would attach to the sides of the hammock and create a pocket of air underneath me and that air bubble was what kept me warm at night. So that was your version of, of a a little pad or something like that, that got you off of the ground, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. And then the, the quilt over, did that also attach to the sides of the hammock or whatever? So it didn't slide off or slide around. No, it's, it's a pretty much like a sleeping bag, except it doesn't cover you all the way up in terms of um, if you sleep with it, it's meant to cover your top side on on the top half of your body and not necessarily your back because you're getting that protection from the under quilt. Mm-hmm. So otherwise just a very light sleeping bag. For your quilt, do you remember what the, the temperature rating was or uh, how heavy it was? It was rated to 30. And, um, I also carried a liner too, when I got, uh, into the Northern States just to stay warmer. Yeah. And I don't remember the weight, but I'm, I need to look. I know the quilt plus under quilt was under two pounds. Nice. And, and that was enough, particularly as you got further North and the season got later, that was sufficient to keep you warm and. Yeah. That's why we added the the liner. Um, and then eventually when we got to in past New New Hampshire, that's when we actually switched to tent camping. So we didn't hammock the whole way. I was worried that Toby was was gonna be cold at night, so that's why we switched to tenting. So we did both hammocking and tenting. I still prefer hammocking. <laughs> I was gonna say I I I want to ask the question, but I have a feeling I know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to snuggle with him at night in the tent. That's one. that's like the, the main upside of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of tenting. How some people would say that maybe sleeping with a smelly dog 
isn't so good. However, he probably thinks that sleeping with a smelling human is is much worse because, like you said, he smelled better than me. <laughs> I'm sure it's you know when you're getting four or five days out. Yeah, it gets a little rank for sure. Was that the plan to begin with that you were going to swap from hammock to tent once you got further north? I had always kind of thought it was an option, but it was my backup plan. I didn't really want to switch to a tent. I just felt like it was um, the smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And again, that came down to temperature and temperature for him related to him specifically. Yep. Did you have to change out your sleeping arrangement? Cause I'm assuming then you went to some sort of pad and did you still do the quilt and I guess the liner or. Yeah, I used the quilt and I bought the liner and I also had a, a, Thermarest pad as well. Like that yellow Neo Air thing? Yeah, yeah. The traditional, the traditional uh, inflatable pad? Mm-hmm. Did that change how, how, your, how your pack was set up? I mean, did that size-wise, did you expand or, or contract at that point? It was about the same. I remember carrying more food on the outside of my pack just so that I could fit the extra um, liner in. But other than that, no, it didn't change much. Got it. And, and when you're saying you're carrying it on the outside of your pack, I'm, t- I'm assuming in the big pockets that are yes, yeah, in the pockets. prevalent around the packs, all of them yeah. at this point. Carabiners and pockets were my best. <laughs> as long as you had someplace you could hook something, it was good. Absolutely. <laughs> Did the pack that you were using have big po- like hip pockets so you could keep whatever you had determined would be your sort of during the day food on your hips or were you having to take your pack off during the day? And Every morning I would pull out that bag of food that I had for the day and I would put it in the back so it was easily accessible in one of those pockets. But it did come with uh, really nice hip pockets, but they were smaller for, you know, the, the loose odds and ends that you carry. Um, my filter, I attached to the outside too. my carabiner. I would carabine it to the side and then both of my water bottles on, on the sides of the pack too. What were you using for water bottles? I was just using smart water bottles. I was going to say, were you using the... Yeah. It's so funny to me that that smart water hasn't, I mean, they've got to know at this point that they are like oh, the yeah. go-to. Yeah, absolutely. But they, they haven't played with it advertising wise or commercial wise. Surprised. I'm really surprised it should be, you know, we're the official water, of the, the Appalachian trail through hike with us. <laughs> I mean, they're the official water bottle of everywhere. That yeah. is a through hike. Basically. Yeah. I, it's yeah. sort of like the, the Talenti uh, gelato containers like that is everybody that is not not everybody but a lot of people's go-to for cold soaking yeah yeah did you ever try cold soaking while you were out there or everything was was with the stove and my trail sister cold soaked and i tried it once and thought it was gross (laughs) (laughs) what what was your stove um i had the pocket the pocket rocket did you, sorry, I, I know these are really haphazard questions, but I'm just trying to, cause I know we're getting, we're getting close to our time limit. So I'm just kind of trying to gather information. Yeah, no worries. 
Did you have the, in terms of like clothes wise, did you have like the traditional uh, puffy jacket and the, uh, the long sleeve and that kind of stuff? And then uh, probably shorts and. Yeah, I conformed really, really hardcore. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The cliche uh, through hiker look. Um, you know, I was, you know, a long ass section hiker, so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta pretend. <laughs> you went from one uniform to the other. That's right, I did. I had, you know, the puffy. I love, I love that thing. That thing saved my life. What uh, was where, it? Which one was it? Uh, it was the REI. Okay. I think it it was it weighed. It must have weighed like two or three ounces. I don't know. I weighed more than that. <laughs> Yeah. How how you said you conform. So how else? What what else was your your uniform? A pair of shorts. Two pairs of shorts. Uh, I had my camp clothes, so my um leggings that I would wear at camp and then like a really nice um warm camp shirt for night. And then I had two short sleeve, you know, like Nike shirts mm-hmm. and uh two pairs of socks. Uh two bras and two pairs of underwear. You were in twos. I did. Yeah. All the way. What were your socks? The, um, there's, I think I had a pair of both of the really popular ones. Um, like darn tough. Yes. Darn tough. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. How, how did they work for you? Did they hold up well or were you one? I actually caught one on fire. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I was. Um, they were. It was raining a lot, and they got wet, and so I was trying to dry them out next to a fire in the morning. And some of the char or the um, flames went over, and there burned a hole in one of them. <laughs> so God. I, the company, you know, even though they offer their lifetime warranty, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't cover fires apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> now, were you able to have like a, like a campfire type of thing versus just your, your pocket rockets? Every once in a while. Yeah. We, I, uh, we had fires. There are a couple areas along the way where you can have them. So that was really nice to be able to do every once in a while. And how, how, how did you provide or how did you find fuel for them? I mean, particularly if you got rain and all of that going on. Yeah, the rain made it really difficult for that. And you'd have you'd almost have to wait a day or two for everything to dry out. But stuff tended to dry out once once it stopped raining mm-hmm. for a couple of days. Stuff would dry out pretty fast. I'm sure not as fast as it does out west. Yeah, because the humidity is pretty good out there. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, finding dried leaves helped, pine leaves and things like that, and then the dead wood. And then it was really nice sometimes. Uh, people would stack up dry wood when it was going to rain at a shelter. A couple times we, I would get to a shelter and there would be dry wood underneath the shelter. So someone had good Samaritan trail angel come along and done that, which was really nice. Yeah. How was your experience? Aside from that, how was your experience with trail angels and trail magic and that Just type wonderful. of thing? It was great. Uh, um, my, Trail sister's name was Leslie Nope. And she had this. Say that again? Leslie Nope. (laughs) Leslie Nope. Okay. (laughs) Uh, She had this mantra 
that you just, you think good things are going to happen. Uh, and eventually they do. And I just want, I just remember this one day we were crossing a road and she was ahead of me. I came up upon her in this parking lot and she was just sitting on this rock and we were in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. And I'm like, what are you up to? What are you doing? And she's like, Oh, I'm just waiting for trail magic. And I'm like looking around like, you're crazy. (laughs) And the next thing you know, this van rolls up and it's literally, um, he was going up and down as a trail angel, uh, on the AT and he just handed us out, you know, everything you want, soda and brownies, all the good stuff. She manifested trail magic. She did. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. It it was. I couldn't believe it. And only time you know, we were there probably for five minutes before this guy rolled up. It was awesome. Did that, I should say, did that convert you to her, to her thinking? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I totally bought in after that. Like we would go places and try and manifest things all the time. <laughs> How'd it go? Yeah, you know, when you got something, it doesn't matter <laughs> if it was manifested or not. True. Very true. Very true. Other than that experience, like what was your favorite kind of trail magic to, to get or to come upon? Uh, I, I liked using gut hooks a lot. The app that, um, helps you, it tells you, you know, how far you are away from things. And it, i what I really like about gut hooks is the fact that there's live input. So you can see things that are coming up that people will comment on and to know what the status is. And a few people commented that this couple in Maine would drive an hour or two to have a barbecue on the side of the road once a week. So we saw this on gut hooks and stayed behind I think we waited for two hours for them and they showed up right when they were supposed to. And we had a barbecue. (laughs) I loved that. It was awesome. Were they, did they somehow have some association with the trail? Like they had done it or. Uh, Learned about it through some friends and came up and, and done it a couple of times. And I guess the friends had moved away and they just adopted the whole process and kept, kept having the the barbecue every week because they loved it. They loved meeting all of the, the people from all over the States and just seeing adventurers, I think living vicariously through everyone's stories. Yeah. I, I guess that is, that is the part of trail angel trail magic that we tend to forget about is that yes, the people who receive it are certainly feeling the joy and the pleasure in it, but there is also a joy and pleasure in giving it. Absolutely. Or providing it. Yeah. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about that we should, that should be mentioned? I do get a lot of questions. I see a lot of people that are thinking about bringing their dog along for a through hike. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that people want to experience a through hike or like a a long backpacking, a really long backpacking trip with the dog. I just want the community to accept dogs and to continue to accept dogs on trail. And I think that there's so much back and forth, especially online. If you look, there's so many people that hate on hikers with dogs and you can't like, you can't buy into that. 
but you're the only one as a dog owner that knows what your dog is really capable of, what their personality is like. And at the end of the day, like you have to be the one to decide if your dog is capable of being out there. So that's my biggest piece of advice to anyone who wants to hike with a dog is to like really do some soul searching and think about, is this the right answer for me and my dog? Like, should I really bring my dog with me? But to not get discouraged by all of the trolling online, because <laughs> there's a lot of it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Are there, I know your website has resources, but are there other resources where you would point people to help them make those decisions? Honestly, I think one of the biggest things that you can do is as a dog owner is really think about how well your dog is trained and get on YouTube and look at like dog training videos and Mm -hmm. see compare, compared to these other videos, like have you put the time and effort into training your dog to listen to you, to like come when they're called and really just listen at the end of the day. And other than that, um, online, I don't think there are resources specifically for through hiking, but as far as behavioral stuff goes, like, can you bring your dog to a dog park and worry that they're like something bad is going to happen? Cause if the answer is no, then your dog has no business on being on trail. Right. That's an easy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you guys have any encounters with animals, lar- larger animals, I should say, while you were out there? We didn't. And there were several people around us who did. I think that Toby was a deterrent for bears um, and other animals because uh, we never saw anything. Maybe Toby didn't and he just scared it away before, <laughs> before I saw right. it. So, so you didn't have to worry about or you didn't have to test that like what he would do in a scenario like that. I didn't. That being said, because I wasn't living in DC before that, I was only about an hour and a half away from Shenandoah National Park. So we would go there a lot and we'd encountered bears uh, during bear season. I think one day we must've seen six. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I knew what he was like. The biggest thing was when he sees a bear, is he going to chase after it or is he going to listen to me? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, he was on his leash for most of the trip. So that wasn't even a concern. But even if he was off leash, I think that he would have listened to me for a bear. I don't know about for like squirrels and chipmunks, but for a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any time on the trail when you had to put him on leash while you were hiking? He, uh, for any of the state or national or for the state parks, he has to, the dogs have to be on leash um, at all times. And when you're entering or leaving the national forests or the state parks, there's signs. So it's clearly marked mm-hmm. and the way like leash laws are um, well, not leash laws, but when you're in an area where you don't have to have a dog on a leash, it's kind of up to you as the owner to decide what is good for the dog at this point. And I had Toby off leash maybe about 25% of the time when he could be. Um, which anytime we would come up on someone else that we didn't know, I'd put him on leash just for him and for them to just to keep everybody at, at ease. But after a while, you know, he starts learning everybody, everybody knows who he is. And I didn't feel like I needed to put him on a, on leash as much. It was awesome. 
So he, so he got to roam around. How far did, like when he was roaming around, how far did he get away from you at any given time? Um, I wouldn't let him go more than 20 to 30 feet away. And that like, that's kind of extreme, but he would just kind of go back and forth ahead of me, behind me, ahead of me, behind me. You know, so he was doing when he was off leash, she was definitely doing a lot, two to three times the, um, the mileage that I was doing. Right. I was going to say, so you did 15 and he did probably closer to 30. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If people have more questions or, or want to reach out to you to talk about your experience or, and or learn more about hiking with or through hiking with a dog, where would be the best place to do that? Well, um, there is a website, my website that I've just created, spidohikes.com. That's a great way. But also there, if people are interested in, and this is another huge resource that I didn't mention earlier, uh, on Facebook, there is a Facebook group. It's called uh, Through Hiker Dogs. Okay. Uh, That is a great resource because a lot of people in the past who've through hiked with their dog are all in this forum asking questions. People ask questions. So it's like a great community, a great resource. If you have questions um, for people who've actually done it and it's not just the AT uh, tons of people on the PCT. I've seen CDT Colorado trail questions just in the last month. Yeah. It it is the season again. (laughs) (laughs) Do you knowing that it is the season and that people are starting to get out there again? Do you, do you feel the, the push, the, the draw? I do. I do. I've seen a couple actually uh, dog through hiker duos start. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's pulling me back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll have to, you know, set a couple feet on the trail this year, just to, for old time's sake. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. This has been incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much. And links for Trisha and Toby's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Trisha for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.